Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. What three wrestling matches would you watch? Desert Island Graps. My name is Rick Hoyle, and I am an addict. I've always had an addictive personality, be it horror movies, women, coffee, walking that little dog of mine. But there was one, there was one that I just couldn't control, and that was professional wrestling. Like any addict i had a brand of choice and it was north wrestling i thought i could go cold turkey and i could kick that habit and i was so wrong <laughs> mcl 22 is going to be the new sick nation and a partner of my choosing and i don't care if i have to beat you boys within an inch of your life i'm going to make north wrestling the way it was before I'm happy to be a junkie. I don't need your medicine. <laughs> Rory Coyle, how are we doing? I'm not too bad. I'm warm. I'm very warm, Tom. It very is warm. the warmest that ever did warm today yeah. on the day of recording. Yeah. The problem is my office has uh, a pile of VHS players in it and <laughs> like hundreds of tapes. And now me, and it's there's not much there's not much room for airflow. How do you cope with the heat? Uh, like a true Irish man. <laughs> but well, I'm okay with it. It's the sun that is my enemy. If you were to um, look around your office now, you say you're sharing it with uh, VHS players and VHS tapes. So how many VHS players are we talking? Um, I've got um, I've got three that are hooked up that are working. I've got one that was busted open by Eddie Kingston's head. And then I have two that are kind of falling apart. I think one might have been hit off um, a certain person that used to be very good at Twitter and um, a certain emo who uh, wrestles for Cody Rhodes' company. So I think, yeah, I've got, I don't know. And then I've got a, actually, you know what? I've just loaned us two more in the corner. Um, I've got two more, but one of them is my childhood video player so i'll never smash that ever is it just a case of you these are despite the fact they are non-usable you just can't bring yourself to get rid of them yeah someone offered me money for the um the eddie kingston one um and like i was just i was just that tired i was like nah nah it's in the car um so yeah i just keep them now i i, I normally use them in matches until like they they just can't function well not they could never function after one hit but i use them to the stage where they are so sharp and dangerous that we can't use them anymore um and then normally they just sit in a pile in the in the corner of my office 
For those who are too young to to know, what's the deep joy of watching something on videotape? Um, I don't I don't know. I think you know it's just more. I don't know. It's hard to describe. I think it's more visceral. I don't know why. Like there's something. I think it's just because it's because it's so kinetic and you have to like everything's manual and it involves some effort. So you have to wait for something to rewind. And then you have to push play, and then sometimes you have to do your tracking. And I think for me, it was just like I, I sort of grew up watching, like, and it's just a massive nostalgic value. But now, because people have donated so many tapes to me, like I'm I'm going through these boxes, and I'm like, oh, here's like an NWA tape, or here's like a, yesterday I found like a really cool like uh, Terry Funk shoot promo. But it's like I have that I have that shoot promo on a high spots DVD, but I'm like. Will I just watch it on VHS? Yeah, I'll just watch it on VHS. <laughs> <laughs> with with also with with videotapes. I remember growing up, it was I, I collected um, old WWF tapes, and there was something magical about ordering like an old in your house from 1997, and it arriving a week later, and you would watch it like from from beginning to end. You just you you just being you know completely swallowed up to the whole experience. Whereas now everything is so disposable. I could pull up that same show, watch about twelve minutes of it, and go, ah, oh, what else is on? But you you yeah. lose that now. You lose that with a video. You really had that. You were just it was more immersive. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's it. It's like you would sit through things because you're maybe you're waiting for like the fourth match, but you would sit through it rather than kind of like fast forward. Um, whereas now, like I will just skip to that one match that I want to watch. And I know that I'm probably missing out. Like I've mentioned it to people before. I'm like, oh yeah, I watched this match. And they're like, oh, did you see like earlier on that card? There's this really good tag match. I'm like, oh no, no. I kind of skipped that and then I have to go back and rewatch it. Is there a particular non-wrestling videotape that you own that you're particularly fond of? Um, Yeah, I've got like, there's a couple that normally sit like in the forefront of the promos. So I've got, um, I've got an original copy of the Goonies and uh total recall but there's one yeah i've got stephen king's out and stuff like that um but i recently came across um an original copy of like friday the 13th the first friday the 13th um so that's kind of uh, that's one i really like i mean there is a the accidental porn tape that little miss roxy gave me um, <laughs> which is like i should say like it's not like little miss roxy tape she gave me a video player and then, like, the next day, she texts me going, oh, by the way, I, I don't know what's in that player, so, you know, it's not mine. And I was like, well, I'm going to have to watch it now. And um, I put it on, and I was like, oh, this is just really obscure mi- mixture of stuff. that Somebody had obviously, like, recorded this off TV, and then they recorded, like, you know, they recorded Television X, like, preview and stuff. So I quite like that one. It's sitting here right in front of me. And it's just got a number 16 on it. And I like the fact, I would like to think, the other person had 15 other tapes <laughs> that were of similar nature. And he's like, tonight's a number 16. <laughs> it's um, been a rough day. Let's pop in a number 12. But yeah, generally those, like, I'm just looking now, like, I've just noticed I've got Jaws and stuff as well. Jaws and the Goonies are sitting right beside each other. So anything like that that kind of sticks out to me as being, like, something that I definitely watched when I was a kid, like, I'll always keep and, like, I'll, I'll make sure I never smash them or I'll never land on them or anything like that. And National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is here as well. Oh, nice. <laughs> Amongst <great>. all of that, <laughs> to go from Television X previews to National Lampoon in, yeah. in, in, in literally a minute, <laughs> in a hot minute, that's what we like. 
Sending you onto a desert island, Rory. Probably for the best. Uh, it's, it's probably for the best. And we're going to burn for you. I mean, normally we burn a DVD. I guess, you know, present company accepted. We're happy to uh, record a long play VHS for you instead. <laughs> um, a, three, a, a piece of medium containing three wrestling matches that you will happily watch whilst on said island. What would you like your first match to be, Rory? So I'm going to start with uh, Doink the Clown versus Marty Jannetty, and it's a two out of three falls match that was on Raw. I think like I think I watched it like a couple of days ago. I think it was like June '93. Um, there's another Raw match as well, but it's just um, it goes to like a counter order DQ, I think. But this is a two out of three falls one, uh, and it's Doink the Clown versus Marty Jannetty. just about ready and I believe yes here he comes here we go 25 pounds Marty Jannetty what a matchup last week and what an ovation listen to this Marty Jannetty wanted this return matchup and so did Doink for that matter both men wanted to go at it again Marty Jannetty's ready for this one and he realizes it's two out of three balls I predict he's gonna beat him two straight. It's only now when I watch these by, these guys back that I I realize like why I loved them. But I loved Doink the Clown, like absolutely loved them, like everything he did. Uh, mainly like um, the Born Doink the Clown, so like early Doink. Um, and I remember like watching. I remember seeing this match when I was younger and just not really thinking much about it. Just going, yeah, that was alright. You know, it had Doink the Clown, Marty Jannetty. I hated Jannetty when I was younger. I don't know why. Like I just despised him. <laughs> I think I bought into the barbershop angle. I was like, I hate him. Um, but like this whole this match is just it just shows you how good Doink is. Like he's just I, I think like even the opening shot, like it doesn't even start like a regular segment. The opening shot is Doink lying on the canvas and he just sits up and laughs into the hard cam. And you're just like, This is gonna be great. Um and it's quite weird because I can't tell, even watching it now, having like wrestled I can't tell how much of this Janetti kind of is on the same page as Doink or how much, like, is there... It makes me look at it and go, is there some type of real beef between these guys? Because Doink does, like, a nice little interesting thing at the start where he's kind of... He's trying to lure him over to the corner as if he's got, like, a little surprise for him. And Janetti won't go. He just won't go. And then he tries it again and he won't go. And then I think the first real, like, kind of encounter is, like, a lock-up and they go on the ropes. And then Doink hits him with one of those, like, left forearms. And it's like, oh... Oh, he ain't he ain't messing around, um, but yeah, just the whole thing. Like, and it's just because it's a two or three falls. If you, if you watch the previous match, like, there's loads of little throwbacks, like bits and that as well. So you could tell that these guys were telling like like a story across like a couple of shows. Um, but there's one bit that like I remember recording on my phone and bringing it to Screwface and Rampage and going, look at this, and like. Straight away, within two seconds, Screwface is like, this is two or three falls match, isn't it? Like, Because obviously they had watched it, and it's like, Gennetti's on the outside, and out of nowhere, Doink's foot just comes out through the ropes, and he just kicks him square in the side of the face. <laughs> it's just like, whoa. Um, but yeah, it's just I, just, I just love the Doink character, and it's just his face, like everything he does, like, he just looks horrible and angry. Um, and Gennetti's great in it as well, like, but I just think... As a kid, 
and even now, like I don't think I really appreciate like guy like Gennady, um, whereas I I can kind of I can really appreciate like Doink the Clown. Do you remember the first time you saw Doink the Clown? Um, no, like I can't I can't remember. Like I used to watch I used to watch wrestling with my with my brother a lot, and um, it was always on like passed down VHS tapes. So because I grew up in Ireland, like we um, like we weren't from like a really <laughs> we weren't from like the sticks or anything, but like Sky television like not a lot of people had sky um so like we had one friend who was called chunk after chunk from the goonies um and his auntie had sky <laughs> so we would get together we'd buy like long play tapes and then she would record the wrestling for us and then we would pass it around and there was like a group of like 12 of us and then so we'd have two or three tapes in cycle at any time and i remember just seeing doink on one of them it's the first time i saw undertaker as well was just on one of those VHS tapes. I just remember like rewinding back and going like, "What? What am I? This cl- this guy's a clown, but he's like evil. Like he's a he's a bad clown." <laughs> so, um, and same with like guys like IRS and stuff as well. I don't know why I was drawn to them and like uh, Ted DiBiase and like everybody kind of knows the obsession with Jake the Snake. But yeah, it's just I think it was just on one of these grainy VHS tapes that I'd watched like in my parents' like living room with the curtains closed so I could like, actually make it out because by the time I got round to us. Like we'd probably recorded over this tape like ten times, and it had probably been played in ten other people's houses that week. Um, but yeah, I just I just remember something about him, kind of catching my attention. But now when I watch him, now as like having wrestled and I, I I get it. Like I totally get why I everything now makes sense to me. Whereas when I was a kid, I was just a weird kid that liked all the bad guys or all the weird characters. With this match in particular, and I always like to throw this on the other occasion to to guests, is there something from this match that you have used or maybe drawn from in a match of yours? Yeah, the the straight in the camera laugh, like hundred percent. Like the I used to do it at the final a lot <clears throat> where I do my entrance and stuff. Um where I just purposely just like do a manic laugh just right in the camera. So I think for me, it's like the stuff I took from Doink was just the weirdness and the fact that matches didn't have to be, didn't have to be a standard match. Cause this is very much a Doink match. Like it's got, like he, he ends up kind of looking a bit silly sometimes. He ends up looking menacing sometimes. And I think that was always kind of like something that I would try and steal or if I could get like a little bit of that in my matches, I'd be quite happy. What do you think led the the WWF to change Doink as much as they did? I mean, what were your thoughts on how obviously when Matt Bourne left, the Doink character continued, but because people like yourself were watching and warming to this character, they decided, well, let's make him a good guy, and immediately, like just like that, the character does a one eighty. Um, what were your thoughts on 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 Doink the Clown officially becoming a popular character? See, I think at the time I, at the time I was cool with it, because like I was very much just, I was just engraved as you know a fan. Like, and I, I wasn't thinking like this. Like to me, that back then I would never even think of stuff as like, as you know, like turns. You know now, like when someone turns, it's a massive thing. Um, like I was just like, oh well, this just kind of makes sense. But now when I watch it back and I see like the doink and dink stuff, and I'm just like, oh man, like that that was so good and it has kind of now been like a little bit like not kind of cheapened but kind of you know cashed in on but then it's like if they had kept him as the sinister clown like 
eventually would he have kind of had to naturally turn. Um, so, yeah, at the time, I thought it was great. I was like, yeah, this is brilliant. Now everyone's cheering for him. But now when I look back and I'm like, oh, man, like that's, oh, that's really upsetting. <laughs> you <laughs> know, and likes him now. Yeah, and it's, but, but I kind of get that, you know, you get that with every media, though, don't you? Like, you get it with bands and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm sure, like, that happens a lot now with modern wrestling. It's like, you know, people love the guy when he's on, when he's an indie darling. And then when he's, you know, doing his own thing. But then whenever he, whenever he makes it or whenever he gets a contract, suddenly people, the more people get on board, they're like, oh, I don't know, oh, he's changed. Um, I mean, maybe that person wants to change, you know, or maybe they have to evolve themselves. Uh, but yeah, like that's why when I watch the Doink, um, I'll always try and like look at that or I'll always try and look at like like the Born Again um, the Born Again character or something just because it's, it's, I don't know what it is, but it's just, it's nastier. With obviously Doink obviously becoming popular as as what is a typically a bad guy, um, I draw a lot of comparisons with your work and how you, uh, the shows that you've worked at predominantly you know, with North Wrestling, uh, which is based in Newcastle upon Tyne, and uh, how you came in as as in the same vein as doing just this just this nefarious evil <laughs> character but the crowd just completely warmed to you what was the challenge for you uh in in sort of becoming a fan favorite but wanting to retain who you were so i suddenly thought like oh crap i'm probably gonna have to wrestle <laughs> <laughs> and i was like no not don't make me wrestle <laughs> yeah it was it was weird because um yeah, I didn't. I didn't really change what I was doing, but like obviously they, um, like North, North in particular is like its own weird, bizarre ecosystem, and they just liked the fact that I was this, I was someone different than what they had seen. Um, and it helped. It really helped that like North kind of put stock in me and you know took a punt on me and kind of we were like, right, well, what do you, do you want to try and do this stuff? Um, so yeah, I think for me the hard thing was to. To somehow now be be myself still, but like give them the opportunity to, to be let in a little bit more. Because when I was just when I was there and I was like punching kids and ruining shows and stuff like that, um, it was fine because I didn't need to let them in at all. It was just like they didn't have a choice. They had to watch what I was doing, and that was it. Tough. Whereas now I kind of almost had to do stuff where. I would give them moments where they could cheer for me or I could I could give them moments where they could interact with me, even if it's for like four seconds in a match. Um, or if I I would somehow now have to do these these promos where I wasn't being horrible and nasty. I was kind of not like inspiring, but I was being like like the kind of fighting the fighting champion that will take on anyone and defend North to my last breath type of thing. So it was it was good. Like I enjoyed it, but it was I never would have done the stuff at Defiant if I hadn't have got that chance at North because that kind of forced me to think, right, how can I be myself, not change my brand or not change this thing that I've worked really hard at, but like somehow just let the fans in like a little bit more or give them something that kind of hopefully they kind of they can relate there, they can get behind because nobody can relate to Rory Coyle and <laughs> uh, his origins. Like, <laughs> nobody, I hope nobody can relate to him. If they can, they're probably just writing pen pal letters from like prison or something. Um, and I think that was like a big turning point for me. It was like I, I had a discussion with uh, a producer, a guy who used to produce for ITV and was like a prominent name in uh, 
British wrestling and he kind of said he's like I really like the stuff but he's like I can't put Rory Coyle on a TV product and I was like why and he's like he's because he's a he's a he's a character from a horror movie but then I, I was I was confused because I was like he's not a character from a horror movie he's a guy that loves horror movies and I want to make horror movies in the wrestling ring and it was weird because he just looked at me and went that's the guy that can go on TV um so yeah it was like that it was just me maybe it was just me finding it myself as well and kind of going right here's the actual realism of what Rory Coyle is. And it's freakishly close to me, um, which is worrying sometimes. Uh, <laughs> like, whoops, like, oops, um, maybe not to be trusted and I should stay in the woods with a video camera. Where, whereabouts did you grow up in Ireland? So I grew up in the Northwest. Um, it's in uh, County Donegal. Um, so that's why my accent is actually, it's very, very Northern. Um, so I sound I sound like someone from Northern Ireland, but and people have billed me as being from Belfast and stuff, which is fine. And it's a, it's that weird thing where like I would never get offended by someone going like, oh, what part of Northern Ireland are you from? And I grew up with a lot of people that would, and I'm just like, oh no, I'm actually from you know the border. Um, but yeah, it's this lovely scenic, uh, scenic part of Ireland up in the northwest, up in the northwest coast. And it's, it's the thing is, I had to move away before I would appreciate how absolutely stunning it is. <laughs> you know, you kind of take it for granted when you're a kid. Um, so every time I go back now, I'm like, wow, this this place is like picturesque. Like it's it's gorgeous. So yeah, I just, I just grew up there. Um, and then I moved to the UK, I think in uh, 2002. Um, what led you to the UK? Um, just dirty stuff. Like I just, uh, I wanted to get into uh, like video games. Um, like a video game industry. So, and the the North East England was like the best spot. And it still is like one of the best spots because you've got Ubisoft and stuff like that. So I came over um, with the intent of kind of just pursuing that. And it was weird. Like I just, I came over, like, I think I just turned 18. Um, and I was just like, I'd never even looked up because um, I moved to Middlesbrough. I'd never even like looked up Middlesbrough or anything. Like I just... I literally got in a boat with <laughs> my stuff, uh, drove down, and was like, "Well, I guess I live here now." Like, it's just like, and like now when I now when I talk to people who like move over or like move places to study, like they do like a lot more research. But I was just like, "Yeah, well, that looks like the best spot for it." So, looks like this is where I live, <laughs> and, and like I love the northeast. I just got. I keep saying to people, I got like really, really lucky. Like I can't imagine if I moved here and hated it. Like. I, I would just be like, oh, no, this is a terrible life decision. See, I've had a similar problem when I moved up here. And I, even as, as recently as last month, having a conversation with my parents and them saying, well, hey, look, now you can do your job from anywhere. You could move home. And it's like, well, the thing is, I kind of don't want to because I love living in the northeast of England. Yeah, and it just becomes home and you kind of like you make a lot of connections and stuff like that. So it's kind of weird. Like, it, I still get the same sometimes. Like, people be like, oh, like, do you still live in England? Are you... Like, are you ever moving back? And I'm like, no, because I kind of, like, Ireland's always going to be my home. But, like, yeah, I kind of, this is this is where I live now. I've been warned by Rampage Brown I'm not allowed to move away, in a way. Like, <laughs> like every time I joke about it, I'm like, oh, you know, I might go to this place. He's like, you're not allowed to move away, Irish. What are you doing? I go, oh, okay. <laughs> like, oops. Um, back in Ireland, uh, you, you came from a Catholic family. Um, <laughs> yep. What uh, was the reaction to the age of to you at the age of eighteen uh, leaving to move to the UK to to get into video games? Uh, it was cool. Like it was cool. Like uh, my um, I'm really lucky. Like my mum, my mum and dad are uh, 
are super are super cool. Like the I think my dad was like I, I was like, this is going to be an awkward conversation. And I was like, I want to do this. And he and he just kind of went, oh, will that make you happy? And I went, yeah. And he goes, well, you better do it then. And that was it. And I've kind of like applied that to, I keep applying that over and over again to like big life choices. I think like, what would he say? And he's just, it's just like, yeah, will that make you happy? Yeah, well, then you better do it. And then it was weird then because he was like, he's like, I don't want to see you till Christmas. And I was like, oh, that's a bit, that's a bit rude. <laughs> like, um, and the reason being was like, he, he didn't want me to come over, you know, get homesick after like four weeks and then fly back and then make a habit of doing that. Cause like a lot of people, um, like, especially who I knew and stuff were doing that where they would, and they would never really like leave home. Like it would always be like, they were just in that other place for like one or two weeks at a time so i was like all right i guess i'll see you at christmas um and honestly he's like the best he's a he was weird he's a weird guy my dad because like he doesn't say a lot but when he says stuff it's like oh oh crap you kind of listen um so yeah he said that and i was like all right okay i'll not see you till christmas bye is that a Um, piece of advice that your dad has given you that stayed with you i think it's that yeah i think it's like the will it make you happy then i guess you better do it and I like, that's it. Like, um, yeah, so I've, I've like, there's bits of them. There's bits of him in Rory. There's a lot, of, a lot of him in Rory. Like, he reminds me a lot. Like, I think the reason I like Jacob Snake when I was a kid was like physically, appearance wise, he reminded me a lot of my dad. Like, looked looked similar, like similar kind of like wicked sense of humor, like that kind of nasty smile every now and then when he would say something, and my mum would go to like slap him for making a, an appropriate joke. Um, so yeah, I think like the one thing I took from him was just like the, it just do, you kind of got to do whatever makes you happy. Like that's the the main thing I took away. It was like, if you're, if you're stuck in a rotten, like you're miserable and you want to take a risk on someone, then take a risk on it. What's the worst that could happen? Like nothing that bad can ever really happen. So I think that's kind of what I took from him. That and swearing. <laughs> You've done well so far. I'm trying my best. I think that's why I'm sweating. <laughs> I think you just. I think because as we've had conversations before, where you've referred to me as being too nice, I think you're being too oh, polite. Nah, you're too happy. Too happy. <laughs> that's why. I, that's why I brew like a massive thing of coffee because I was like, I've got to try and be happy because I'm talking to you. <laughs> so I'll fill myself full of coffee. Where did you decide that actually wrestling would make you happy? Because you got into it quite late. Oh yeah, way too late. Um, I think uh, yeah, it was around. I think it was around two thousand and five when I first I first tried it. Um, so I was um, yeah, I was living in Middlesbrough at the time. We just saw um, me and a couple of my mates used to work in like a nightclub quite late at night. So we'd always be like walking home super late, and we just saw a poster for uh, like a training school, and it's for a place called uh, EPW, based in Middlesbrough. Um, so I went. And it was the, the typical thing that like a lot of people say is like I went with like a group of like like five or six mates, and it was in this small place in Borough called Liberties in Town, um, which is where I'd actually have like my first wrestling match. Oh no, it's not actually my first one. My first one was in a place called Barnet Castle. Um, but they would have this. So I went in. There was like a they were helping put up the ring, so I kind of helped out and stuff. And the guy training was a guy called Chris Cully. Um, and there was another guy called Daz, who's like a kind of right hand man. And like, it's it's weird because like, I think with a lot of training schools back then, like you'd hear these horror stories and stuff. Like those two guys 
were never anything but like awesome to me. They were just like super, and they just it was basic stuff like you know learning how to bumps and hit the ropes and stuff like that. Um, and then what happened then was like I was only there like a month or two, and all my other mates had kind of stopped going, and all of a sudden it was like yeah you're on shows. I shouldn't have been on. I shouldn't have been on them. Like I knew myself like I shouldn't have been on shows, and I was terrible. Like, if anybody watches my stuff now, like, I'm not even that good a wrestler. But imagine that, like, pre-Rampage Brown. Like, that, that's the pre-Rampage Brown and Screwface trying to teach me how to wrestle. I was so bad. Like, I shouldn't have been on shows. And I did, like, one or two shows. And I just thought, like, you know what? This isn't, like, this isn't what I thought it would be. I liked it. Like, I liked the physicality and I liked the aggressive nature of it. But it wasn't, like... The, some of it, it never made sense. That wrestling never made sense to me. It was never, it was never like, you know, my finishers DDT. I'm going to try and go for that DDT every, every, every chance I get because I want to end the match. It was never any of that stuff that I would get later on. Um, so I, yeah, I just stopped. Um, I had a, I had a couple of injuries. Like I, I busted open my head. I think this is all evidence that I shouldn't have been in the ring. Like I'd, I'd sliced open my head massive. I had to get it like glued shut. Um, so now it's good now I'm getting wrinkly because it's just hidden. Um, and it was, yeah, I just like, I was just like, oh, this isn't what I thought it would be. So then like years later, like probably five years later or something like that, um, or maybe more, um, I, a friend of mine, um, knew, uh, Glenn Joseph from Progress and he's like, oh, my mate's got this, this indie wrestling company. And at the time I'd started kind of watching ICW and stuff and I started like falling back in love with wrestling, but more like independent wrestling. Um, so he was like, oh, do you want to come down and do one of the shows? And I said, like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to go down. So we went down. It was like chapter maybe like, I, I want to say it was somewhere between like nine and 12. Um, and I know it was somewhere around the time of the, the Jimmy Havoc Will Ospreay angle that they were they were doing. Um, and I remember watching it. And I'd never seen Rampage Brown wrestle before, ever. Um, and this guy came out, this big, scary brute of a man. Like put on this ridiculous match, like just I was just like wow. And then I was driving home that night. My mate was like, oh, like you know, what do you think of the show? Like who, you know, who'd you like? And I was like, man, that I don't know who that rampage guy is. Like, but like he's awesome. And he's like, really? And I was like, yeah. I was like, I was like that's like that guy's legit. And I was like, I'm terrified. So then, like through just some weird chance or through like Facebook listening to my phone, um, the next week it was just announced like NGW. Northeast Academy is opening the head trainers Rampage Brown and I was like you know what screw it I'm just gonna have to give it a try and I think it was about like I must have been like maybe like 30 or turning 30 um way too old like not as old as DDP but that guy's a freak um but like way too old to be starting because I count that as me starting wrestling because other stuff it just didn't count um and yeah I just yeah I went there the first session like absolutely fell in love with it like um I don't think Screwface was around at that stage, but like uh, Liam Slater was there, kind of helping out and stuff as well. And yeah, I've just I've been training there ever since. Was there something from the first session that you had pre Rampage that you when you when you got together with Rampage and the training school there, you realised was immediately wrong or not right for you? It was just, um, yeah, it was nothing really. I was, it was kind of stuff that I wasn't taught. Like, so there was little things that you could only get from like 
a guy that's worked everywhere and a guy that's done everything. So I think it was like very much the fact that it was Liam Slater and Rampage doing it. And they were like, oh, yeah, so because, you know, you're this height and you move this way, then maybe you should try and do it this way. And like that was just like a total like eye opener. I was like, oh, well, wait a minute. Like these guys can kind of interpret different people's styles. And they, that's one thing that they've always done is a credit to them is like they, I've never been treated like, you know, a Connor Ranshaw or an Alexander Henry or, or an Adam Maxted. I've been treated like Rory Coyle, like at their training. So it's like, we're going to teach you this thing, Irish, but you're probably going to really struggle with it. I can't imagine you're ever going to do it in a match, but you might need to be on the receiving end of it. So let's give it a try. Um, and I think that was the one thing. It was just that total, like, kind of personalization of the training um, that I just, I was just like, oh, wow, this is, this is awesome. And I mean, it hurt. Like a 30-year-old, out-of-shape guy taking that many bumps in one night and like doing that cardio i was like this is a terrible idea but like then after three days when it wore off i was like all right i can't wait to go back we have another match to put on uh to your collection sir so we had uh Doink the clown marty Janetti two out of three falls for the first one uh what's your second match gonna be rory so this will come as no surprise it's gonna be a match featuring jake the snake roberts um and i'm going with and I'm going with Jake Roberts versus Rick Martel at WrestleMania 7, I think it was. The blindfold match. Blind, leading the blind. Even a fool knows that a man only has five senses. A snake, he has six. We always do it better <laughs> in the dark. I remember seeing this at the time, but I remember missing some of the build. And um, so they'd done, it's really nice now if you watch it on the network because you get like a throwback, like a little kind of, you know, story so far. And these two guys have been going at each other. And basically what happened was Rick Bartel ended up uh, with the help of, I want to say, was it Pritchard in his corner? Yeah, Brother Love. Well, yeah, it, was brother... On, it was on the Brother Love show, was it? Where what, yeah, this happened? yeah. And he ends up blinding him um, with a kind of like a, a bizarre, like, I've only ever seen them in cartoons. <laughs> that, you know, what do they call that spray bottle thing? Um, They're like so pesticide that, dust sprayers, aren't they? It was it's yeah. loaded with, with the with arrogance. Yeah. The, the uh, fragrance so for Rick Model. Rick the Model Master. Sprays, sprays him in the eyes, blinds him. And then, like, Jake Roberts won't stop because he just wants to come back and get him. Um, so I think then, I think it goes forward a week then, and they have, um, they show, like, doctors blindfolding him, um, like, kind of, like, working on his eyes and stuff. And then, uh, Martel, I think, I don't want to say he's in Way of Is he in a Way of or somewhere like that? No, it wasn't. Um, 
he's having a match anyway, and like Roberts comes through, he comes through the crowd, I think, and he tries to get him, but obviously he can't see. Um, so he's like beating up the wrong guy, and then they do another segment um, on the Brother Love show where like he thinks he's got him, but he's actually got Brother Love hooked in the DDT, and he DDTs him. So the whole thing is built around this lack of sight and the fact that you know Jake Roberts is blinded and he can't see him, um, and then it all builds to like this blindfold match. And it's just like I want to do a blindfold match, and I've just discussed this with guys like Martin Kirby and Prince of Meme and stuff. I just want to do a blindfold match at Butlins. <laughs> like I like I just think it's the ultimate like crowd participation. It's so good, and like the, there's this whole thing where like Roberts is kind of doing you know like the hotter or colder type of thing, where he's just pointing and just moving his arms slowly around, and the crowd. Whenever he points at him, whenever he points at Rick, like the crowd go up and he's like, right, that's where he is. And then he goes after him. And then they just turn the tables on like loads of things that you see, like a guy hitting the ropes and coming back in the tackle. Roberts hits the ropes because he can't see. Martel's standing there and he just, he just bounces straight off him and falls out of the ring. And there's loads of bits with the ref and stuff. It's just, it's so good. Like it's just, and to me, like it's just, there's probably like three moves in the match <laughs> like there is probably about like three moves in the match but it's just oh, i think there's a ddt i think there's a couple of slams um because yeah i think uh martel keeps getting a hold of him and managing to slam him and there's one bit where he slams him and robert's like oh he like, jumps straight up and he's like oh man my back and martel goes to drop the elbow but roberts is at the other side of the ring but because they can't see each other it's perfect like it's just and it's yeah to me it's just like that's wrestling like it's just like it doesn't always have to be i think guys that can do like that kind of fast style or guys that can do strong style or guys that can do death matches amazing like wrestling's wrestling's got a place for all of it but like this to me like you can put this in front of anyone and if they're in that and if they're in that crowd they would be playing along with that hot or cold thing a lot of our American listeners might be introduced to this concept in the Rampage, the Rampage Brown episode. How uh, there's the, I mean, it's summer camps in the UK, and how they'll put on a wrestling show, and genuinely, you just get these wild crowds of mixed bag in terms of fans and non-fans, but they're all up for it. Like some of the loudest, like I've I've watched footage of some camp shows, and uh, the reactions are incredible. You always had fun doing the crowd shows. Um, yeah, like I, I was, I got to, I only got to do a few, um, and it wasn't last summer, it was the summer before, um, and I got, like, I got the chance to kind of jump on the team for like, I think it was like two or three runs, um, and I ended up like maybe wrestling like four or five times for maybe four times I think, but I, I loved it, like I just loved it, and it's cool because nobody knows, like you're saying, like it is a very mixed bag, like so out of that, like you're gonna have thousands of people there, especially in like the bigger places, and. Like some people don't know, like they don't know wrestling, so they you can't go in with a name value, so everything has to be like on the night. And like I would, on the first couple of ones, I would just be on the merch stand, and I'd just get to watch the show, and I'd watch guys like Adam Maxted and Robbie X go out there, um, and just like instantly on that night, show the crowd like who they are, like what they do, like when they should cheer, when they should boo, like and they would do it all in like one two hour segment and I was like man that's like that's proper wrestling it's proper like kind of house show style wrestling um yeah and I got I got to do like a couple of bits where I, I think I was like I think I might have been like H.T. Drake's manager on my first one 
Um, and I ended up getting like drop kicked off the apron, and like some kid telling me to go back to Ireland. I was like, whoa, a little Brexit voter. Um, but yeah, like the that team of guys they had, like they had like guys like um, like Matt Myers and Kip Sabian, who's who's on an AEW now, and they had Gabriel Kidd, and they like guys that were on their on their books, like um, like Nathan Cruz and Lucas Steele and Adam Maxted, and then like Rampage Brown would come in for like certain shows and stuff. So I yeah, it's, like I I would have loved to have done like more, um, but I think for me it was always a concern of like how do we put Rory Coyle on a like a family friendly show, and I think that was kind of like I almost had to prove that. A couple of times where people, I'm kind of going like, you know what? I can be family friendly. I can just be the bad guy. Like I don't have to, I don't have to be the very nasty. I can just be the bad guy. Uh, but I, it was an awesome learning experience. I would love to have done it more. But the, the guys they had on those shows is just like they're unbelievable, and they're doing it like nearly every night of the week. Like just how can they not be unbelievable? Um, so yeah, it's just I think like years ago, um, just from talking to the guys, like they were saying like people like Cabana would come over and obviously Daniel Bryan would come over and a lot of people would come over and they would like Fit Finley would come and do like like a holiday resort run and stuff like that and it's like man it's like it's so engraved in like the history of wrestling but like it's such a cool like learning opportunity I'd love to do it I'd love to do it again but maybe not on like the current schedule because I imagine it's going to be like a lot of shows in a row I mean, I'll just dip my toe for a blindfold match. A blindfold match every night. I mean, I'll do a blindfold match every night. <laughs> Let's talk about one half of that match. A guy who, uh, every time people have spoken to you, and even in promos yourself, you you you've, you've espoused love for Jake the Snake Roberts, and yeah. uh, you can and you can see that you can see that homage in some of the things that you do. Obviously, Jake Roberts is. It, because 2020 is a hell of a drug. Uh, Jake the Snake Roberts is part of a mainstream wrestling company once again um you, what are your thoughts on jake the snake's run in aew so far just like that man just that f- i woke up the morning after he did the first promo with uh with cody you know the hail caesar don't turn your back on a guy <laughs> and he lobbed the mic over his shoulder and like i woke up the next morning and the amount of people that had like either sent me a message or they tagged me in it or whatever. And I was like, what the hell's going on? And I like automatically, I panicked. I was like, oh no, what have I what's done? happened? <laughs> I was like, what have I done? What's happened to Jake Roberts? And um, like, I watched it and I was like, man, he's just, he's just, he's just the best. Like he's just, and then um, I spoke to him as we were awesome camera crew at North. We've got like Kirsten, we've got Alex. And I spoke to Alex about it. And Alex like works for, uh, Townside Cinema it's like it was really beautiful like um, independent cinema in Newcastle and he was like have you seen the next segment where they've done like kind of like a fight club and I'm like no I haven't and then I sat down and watched that and I'm like man this like any company is lucky to have a, a person like Jake Roberts on the like even just on their books anywhere but like the fact that he's working with like talent and he's he's pitting everyone over like only he can do it and like it's just so good especially like having followed his career and haven't seen like haven't seen like the bad side of what happened um and seeing now where he is now i'm like oh man that's like it's the ultimate like comeback story and i just like i hang on every word he says still like everything there's nobody i just think there's i don't think they'll 
there'll ever be anyone like that again, like ever again. Um, just every piece of psychology and like people throw around that term psychology a lot and it annoys me where they're like, yeah, you know, I learned ring psychology and it's like, did you though? Like, you know, cause like nobody really knows ring psychology and the people who do, I just knocked over a pile of videotapes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the people who do like, they don't even know that they know it, you know, like he, Jake Roberts wasn't walking around going, I know ring psychology, like other people were saying about him. Um, but yeah, it's just like, he hasn't missed a beat. Like he just, it's just amazing to just to, to watch him still, still do it. Like, and it's just, and people were saying about his voice, like they were like, oh, he's lost a bit of his voice. I'm like, no nah, man, it's like it's grizzled. Like it's it's better. Like he talks like a guy. I, one thing I always thought about him was he was never a body guy. That's why I loved him. <laughs> he's never a body guy, but he looked like a guy that you wouldn't start a fight with in a bar. He looked like the guy that would sit in the corner having his drink, looking at you. And if he looked at you for too long, you knew you were in trouble. And everything about him just oozed that. And he's still that guy. Um, I, w- I wouldn't start a fight with Jake Roberts now. He'd batter me. I mean, I'd I'd let him batter me. Like, I'd I'd, 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 take, I'd take the job. I'd <laughs> count the lights for him. You'd, anyway. <laughs> you'd quite happily lower your head for a DDT. I would be like that shot of Dean Ambrose where he's trying to... Yeah, John Moxley back when he was in WWE, where they did like the raw, the retro raw, uh, or the raw, and <laughs> Roberts puts a snake on him, and he can't even hide how happy he is. Like he's just smiling, <laughs> and the camera's on his face, and he's just there with a big grin, going, "I just got a snake put on me by Jake Roberts," like, <laughs> just to get the chance to kind of like ask him stuff. Um, because I I'm kind of like I very much know in wrestling like that I'm not I'm I don't call myself a wrestler because the wrestling part I really struggle with um and I'm the the one thing I'm good at is I think I'm quite self-aware I kind of know what I'm really terrible at <laughs> and I know what I'm not too bad at and I think just to pick his brain on like what I do and why I do it and when I do it just to just to try and steal a bit of the genius off him that i'd be happy enough with that i mean like and if i took a ddt uh i just i just quit that day burn my boots when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting when you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The one thing I love about doing this is every so often we get the chance to chat to guys from uh, WCPW slash Defiant. It's a company that is uh, in, a, in a halfway, very close to the heart of Cultaholic. Um, your time with WCPW slash Defiant really kicked off. Kind of, you were there. You 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 really made it your own playground near the end. But tell us how you got started with with Defiant. We go way back to the WCPW. <laughs> um, the weird thing is, like, I'd, um, the 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 cultaholic guys have always been like super. It was super super nice to me, like Adam, Jack, and Ross, and all those lads. Um, and it was I was there on the first taping um so i think prince of meme kind of mentioned it like you know he got this call it was like hey there's this company starting up um do you want to come wrestle for them and like i we had got like we got the call it was like we're running this show it's in newcastle um it's recorded for youtube it's for this thing called walk culture and naively all of us were like what's a walk culture you know huh um so then we get we just get told you know it's on day two uh, we're going to bring you in as you know, sons of you late, but we're going to have a third member, and we're this is what we're going to do. We're probably going to come out. We're probably going to jump somebody on the night. Um, so we get there, and it's obviously in that leaky warehouse that everyone talks about. But I'm looking at the card, and I'm like, uh, like I shouldn't be here. Like I just, like it was all one of those moments where I was self aware enough to be like, man, I'm oh, this. I hope this doesn't go well because I'll mess it up type of thing because they had like Jay Lethal and Joe they had like Joe Henry and Martin Kirby and like the Prince of Meme and Rampage and Big Demo and I was just like what the hell what are we doing here like I'm there like like, putting on my my duct tape and stuff I'm like what the hell so we did the segment um and on the night uh we got like a lot of uh like a lot of Wyatt comparisons and I had this a lot when when we were starting out um, like, and it was just like, I think the segment was kind of, it was very much like the style of stuff I would end up doing, especially Defiant and stuff. Um, so I think just there that night because of that crowd, like the way they react to things is they always want to compare it to something that they already know. Um, so if you come out in black trunks with shaved head and the goatee, they'll compare it to someone called Steve Austin. Like no matter what way you, what way you wrestle or anything like that. Um, and they did the same with like guys like Rampage. They were like, oh, well, Rampage is like Rusev. Like, how? <laughs> no, they're totally different. Um, so we got this this Wyatt comparison. Um, so what happened then was we were kind of told, like, oh, uh, the guys of walk culture are a little bit worried. You know, they don't want to be seen as like ripping off uh, WWE and stuff like that. Um, so we're not going to use the segment. So I was like, yeah, that's cool. Like, that's all right. Part of me was kind of like relieved uh, because... I thought like we, I, I wasn't ready. Like I wasn't, I wasn't ready at all. There's, there's loads of times in my wrestling career I've not been ready for stuff. Um, 
like that ICW progress, like even defiant, like I was just like, nah, nah, are you sure you guys want to put me on like this product? Um, and most of the time, like I think it was Glenn from progress said the way you get ready for the ballroom is you wrestle in the ballroom. So I was like, all right. But with WCPW, it's like, no, nah, we weren't, we weren't anywhere near where we needed to be. I wasn't near where I needed to be in terms of like myself, like my own, like my own stick and my videos and stuff. Um, so then ages later, like I'd still kept in touch and I ended up like working with a lot of the guys from there at like places like 3CW. Um, and I'd worked with, um, James Dixon, who was like the booker of, of Defiant and WCPW. And I think he kind of like started seeing like what I was and kind of like where my, where my strengths were, where my weaknesses were. So then I kind of got a, a shout saying, look, we really want to bring you in the Defiant. Um, do you have any ideas? And I was like, yeah, I got an idea. Let's talk about why you put me on the shelf for 801 days. And he was like, really? I was like, yeah, this is what we're going to do. Um, so it's all real. Like I said, everything, it kind of worked out super nice. And um, obviously I came in Defiant Den and I got like a chance to, like you say, it's kind of became like my playground where like every week the, the best thing was just like bookers that would have like a little bit of faith in me and kind of say like, we want you to do a promo we just want you to to mention this event. The rest is up to you. And I kind of got that freedom of like, all right, okay. Or some nights it would say like, one, one night it said like, uh, Rory Coyle ringside with Stevie Iron. And it just said in brackets, uh, Jake Snake promo into the camera. And I was like, all right, cool. Awesome. I, I could, like, hopefully I could do that. Um, so yeah, I got to do that. And then obviously when I had the title, like everything kind of changed. And it was like, right, you got we got four weeks of like what we would call TV. Um, any ideas? And I'm like, yeah, I want to host a live funeral for Rampage Brown. Um, they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I want to set a man on fire. They're like, <laughs> and they're like, okay, let's give it a try. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, the, the defiant crew and stuff, like the guys there were just for me, it was just such a good experience because like I got to work with like obviously James Dixon being the booker and stuff, but like that locker room, like guys like Martin Kirby and. Joe Henry and Prince of Meme and Rampage Brown and Haskins. Like, even if I wasn't, like, directly working with them, I could still kind of, like, see what they were doing and kind of sometimes pick their brains about stuff. And it was, like, just an awesome chance for me to try and get better at what I was doing and obviously get away with doing, like, loads of weird stuff and creating probably the four weirdest weeks of <laughs> Defiant uh, TV <laughs> ever. What was it that changed? What was it you think that changed the minds of those because we went from you you being sort of pigeonholed as a wyatt style act to now calling the shots on all your segments on weekly television for a very prominent online company like what what changed in that time um i think it was it was it was James Dixon just having faith in me. Like, that's all it was. So I had, um, at 3CW, I was tagging with Dragon Izu, and um, it was there that I'd started, because um, that's, his, that's his wrestling name. Uh, it was there that I'd started kind of figuring out kind of who I was, but then also, like, not necessarily playing by the rules. So he would kind of be like, right, so we got this match tonight, but I think maybe we'll try something different. Um, so then I would I would do very different things there. Like that's where the jumper cables would come in, and that's where sometimes I would have matches where they wouldn't really be matches. Like they would go to like DQs or countouts and stuff like that. And it was really just a chance for me to 
just experiment, but also have a guy there like Aizu, and also that locker room like Kirby and like Joseph Connors and like Prince of Meme and Rampage, just guys there where I could go. I, I, I have this idea and I want to try and do this, and they would be like, "No, man, you can't do it because." You know, we tried this 10 years ago and it didn't work. How about you try it this way? And it's just like learning off those guys really like it's it's weird because I still don't th- I'm not I'm not a good wrestler and I have no problem saying that. And it, I like saying that because then people can when people used to go on defiant. They'd be like, this guy is not a good wrestler. And like someone be like, yeah, he just literally told you that in a promo. <laughs> um, but like the, the things I did pick up there was like, you know, like storytelling and that, that was it and it was just the faith of like obviously working with Aizu and him kind of seeing me and kind of seeing how I do stuff in the ring and like sometimes like I sometimes I go out the good thing was there was there was no safety net on a lot of nights it was like mate we're just going to go out and we're just going to see what happens and I was like no no and he was like no like you gotta trust me you gotta you gotta try this and it was just having that confidence and then learning to work with commentators and stuff as well and then like obviously you came in as a commentator for a while and it's like the fact that I would get in the habit of like talking to commentators and talking to the camera crew and saying, right, I've got this thing and I need you to say this and I need you to catch this. And I think it just, it made me, I think live, I probably, like people probably enjoy my live stuff, but hopefully it translates to like the taped product better because of all those little things that I would kind of try and do. Cause it was something that Rampage and Screwface drilled into me. They were like, we know that you're never going to be the best wrestler. And you know that, but there's other things you can do. And like it was stuff that Rampage picked up in Florida where he'd say, you want to put on a hold and you want to hold it and find that camera guy. And that's the photo that someone will put up online of you. And that's where people will think you're a badass. Or like when you get hit really hard, like make sure you find that camera. Or if you're bleeding, make sure you find that camera and you get that blood over and stuff. So it was just all just a culmination of that. And just like a really supportive, a really supportive locker room that was full of like these UK like established vets that for some reason just took pity on this chubby Irish guy and were like, yeah, he's all right. <laughs> like, uh, so yeah, I just, I just got really lucky and it was just, yeah, just a massive learnings. I go, I owe a lot to them guys, like just taking the time to, and they, I, they were never bored of me asking questions. Like they were always super, super cool. And guys like Chris Renfrew and stuff as well that would come through. And I think that's what led the ICW was, Renfrew had worked with me at 3CW and then kind of put me forward to, to ICW. With a lot of what you do, obviously it's built it's built around character and promo. And you talk then about uh, how Rampage advises you to find the camera and that's the photo. And, and online presence is really important. And yours is incredibly strong through the use of promos that you make uh, yourself. When, can you remember the thought process of one of the first promos that you put out online. Yeah, so at the time, um, at the time I was tagging with Bass. Well, we hadn't even we hadn't even done anything, and I just thought, you know, I'm a massive fan of horror movies, but also in terms of wrestling, I'm just a fan of those people that had vignettes and promos. Like talking in the building, like the Jake Roberts, and even the Undertaker, like you know the Undertaker vignettes from years ago. Um, so I put together. Um, my thought was always like a massive Friday the Thirteenth fan. Um, and I love the idea of like Camp Crystal Lake. Um, so my idea was to start making these videos for like Lake Ulaid, um, for this kind of ideal holiday destination that's got like this horrible dark underpinning because it's produced this guy called Rory Coyle and Baz Ban. Um, so I put we put together four, and so put together four, got all the promo shots, 
um, got all all my gear and stuff, and then I kind of went to I sh- sheepishly went to Rampage Brown and Screwface Ahmed and kind of said, "I've got this idea. <laughs> um, could you look at it?" <laughs> um, and like they they watched it and he was like, "Yeah, just put it out, mate." He's like, "Yeah, just go, just go for it." He's like, "Worst, worst, worst thing, people won't like it." Um, so then we released them and like I think that's what got us the the gig at North is um, uh, Andrew Burr's owner came across them and kind of went, "Oh wow, look at these guys." He thought <laughs> that we were seasoned vets because <laughs> our uh, our videos were so polished. Little did he know. <laughs> <laughs> we were not and still are not uh, so, so yeah just i wanted to have something that kind of just made you sit forward just made you sit up and go wow this is different than because at the time people were doing promos um you know in front of brick walls or in a social club where you could see like the weird like border of wallpaper or in their cars and i was like right i don't want to i never want to do that like i like i want to do something that's that it's going to sell tickets. Hopefully, you know, people are going to watch it and go, I want to see that guy. I either want to see that guy get beat up or I want to see him beat somebody up. Um, and we just took a risk on it. And I think now I found my style of it where it's like, there's a very much like, that's a Rory Coyle style promo, hopefully. But I still appreciate that in the grand scheme of wrestling, I'm quite a small, like name, I'm quite a small act. So what now when people appear places and they do something, like somebody smashed a videotape on, uh, I think it was Impact or something. Um, and somebody, like, people were like, oh, my God, he stole your thing. And I'm like, nah, he doesn't know who I am. You know, like, he's not seen that. Um, so now when people do a similar style promo, I'm like, yeah, either maybe they've seen me and it's kind of sat in the back of their head and influenced them. Or we both just stumbled across it organically, which is totally possible because we've got the same influences. We do stuff online. I, I, I can think of a multitude of wrestlers who are great but let themselves down through a, a lack of sort of social media presence. Um, yeah. Is there anybody on the on the flip side of that? Is there anybody online, any wrestlers online that you love the material of, love the content from? PCO. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Yeah, it's got to be PCO. Like it's just he's oh man, he's like what a. What a, what a comeback. Like, uh, I think, yeah, guys like that, like PCO, I quite like, um, and people draw a lot of similarities between us, I quite like Vinny from Ring of Honor. Um, and I, I like the fact that he's doing stuff, which appears to be off his own back. Um, uh, so I really like Vinny, the the horror master from, like, I can never pronounce his surname, um, from Ring of Honor, and, and obviously Joe Henry. Like, and it was just, Joe Henry thoroughly entertained me over lockdown um where i think i ended up texting him going right mate this is this is the worst now because i'm i'm in tears laughing and he replied me who's this and i was like he's not even saved my number um <laughs> and then we end up then we end up chatting about video games or something like that but yeah i'd say pco and just the weirdness that he's doing um and joe henry and Vinny, i love Vinny's stuff and i mean there's other guys as well that that run in like very different circles than me um but do like really really good stuff like i've always uh i've always thought chris brooks is outstanding just in terms of like um the way he brands himself and the way he kind of he represents himself online um so like guys like that as well i kind of look at and i very much think like all right there's 
there's stuff to be not necessarily stuff to be stolen there there's stuff to be learned there like about you know when he drops his merch and how he drops it and how he kind of creates his brand for himself uh but yeah just in terms of like online content um pco and joe, joe henry and Vinny. and now recently i've started kind of stumbling across some of the warhorse stuff as well a strong online presence can can elevate you and you know the the work you know the work the character stuff that you've done online even you have said it's got you noticed by north wrestling which led to doing other stuff led to a return with defiance got you in the pwi 500 that was <laughs> nice and, and, and then you look at someone okay and you mentioned there like warhorse who is been on this campaign uh, to to get involved with AEW with the TNT Championship and uh, you know the the efforts that he has gone to with videos paid off just the other day when Arn Anderson in a video leaned into Cody Rhodes and said what about that Warhorse kid if if your work and the work of Warhorse isn't proof enough of the importance of a social media presence I don't know what else you need to see yeah I mean I've slacked I've slacked a lot recently just because. Um, there's nothing to promote there's no wrestling well no i've got loads of i've got loads of stuff like i've got loads of promos that i did like um i've done a series of kind of like like serial killer letter promos where i'm writing to another wrestler you know like a dear dear tom i really like your stuff like that type of thing um but i was going to start releasing them and then obviously the black lives matter uh movement kind of came to the forefront and i was like wow like now's not the time because this stuff's like way more important and then the speaking out movement happened, and I said, well, like, like, and I, I would be horrible if I started throwing in my stuff. Um, I had tweeted support for the speaking out movement, and then someone just tried to use it as a way to have a dig at me. So it's a shame because you sit there, and like I know a lot of people are probably in the same boat now. You want to say stuff because this stuff is annoying you, and because you love wrestling, you want wrestling to be better for everyone. But there is a worry in a lot of people that if you now stick your head up, that people are going to come after you. And it's a shame because we should all be still talking about wrestling and promoting wrestling and all this amazing stuff can still go on at the same time. Like we can still fix wrestling. A lot more important things are happening on social media. So I don't want to take away from them, but also like, I don't just want to keep putting stuff out there to start. And you probably get, I mean, you get this more than anything where you put stuff out and you just get people that just don't like you. And that's cool. But it's not nice to know that people don't like, <laughs> you know, like, and I always thought like, I always thought I was quite thick skinned. And what happened was recently I put a tweet out like a while ago where I was saying, I put a list of stuff that I didn't like about UK wrestling and said, I'm none of these things. Maybe I don't belong here. And um, it was picked up by like um, guys that have their own popular podcast. And they, they, they rightly so went, you know what? We think this is insulting because this is undermining to the guys that, that don't do this stuff and that was never my intention but then straight away i was getting like people sending me screenshots of people going like who's this guy i think he is he's not even that good and like oh my god i can't believe he's still wrestling it was a bit of a wake-up call for me because i was like oh people don't know me so they read everything i write with their interpretation of me so someone's read that and thought who's this guy i think he is you know when really i meant it in like a very like tongue-in-cheek irish sense of humor way but I kind of, I I need to accept that something that I should probably be more careful of. And I think everyone should be. It's got to say now where I'm kind of second guessing myself so much. I'm like, should I plug this video or like, or should I just, you know, plug the more important stuff that's going on right now? And it's left me and it's probably a, an after effect of like being stuck in the house for so long and everything that's happened where I'm like, right, I want to get rid of these last couple of t-shirts, but 
on the same hand, like I really want to do something for you know the the Black Lives Matter movement, or I want to you know mention the Speaking Out movement, and it's like it's a weird minefield at the minute. And I mean, I think the stuff that's happened is amazing. It should have happened. It's long overdue. Um, but some people have used it as a chance to just have personal gripes with people. And my concern was somebody used my 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 real name, my real occupation, and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, it's not the time of the place. There's a lot more press and stuff. If you have a problem with me, cool. If you have a problem with Irish, cool. Just send them a DM and be like, mate, you said this thing. You're a bit of an asshole. And normally, when I am an asshole, I'll be like, yeah, you know what? I, I, I like to think of myself where I'll be like, yeah, you know what? I am an asshole. I shouldn't have said that. And I'll normally apologize. I've gone off on one there, Tom. <laughs> no, it's it's something, you know what it's there, there's something quite cleansing about these conversations and it's always reassuring to hear people talk about their experiences online because it's i i go through fits and starts with it i'm very aware that there is a lot to be addressed and there's a lot of uncomfortable conversations that need to be had but at the same time there's you are left feeling pretty exhausted by i can't complain because there's people that have gone through much worse but like to, to report it day to day like it really does test your love for wrestling you go is this you know is this what i want to do it's 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 test it's tested whether or not this is a career i want to do it's tested yeah. everything you know if it and but then away from that just the day-to-day -day stuff with social media can be exhausting in the sense that if there's somebody that doesn't like you it doesn't matter what you do but there's part of you that will always tr almost in the back of your head do stuff to try and appease them because yeah. you want to win them over but you but at the same time it doesn't matter what you do they'll yeah, say it's... they'll say you know i'll get video people on video saying um tom's not funny he needs to stop trying to be funny so i'll do a video which is straight and they'll go tom's really boring so you go do you know what <laughs> i actually can't win and and that's what you said and and it goes back to what you said which is true is that people will always read tweets and take their interpretation of it depending on yeah. on on their mindset that day they will just read the words on the screen and you can't you can't convey sarcasm on twitter you can't convey uh, nuance on twitter yeah. it's just words on a screen i think yeah i think i can look back now and be like i'm kind of like i'm quite oh, that's I'm in a weird self-deprecating way i'm quite happy that like people have kind of done that um and the first guys that did it, you know, they didn't they didn't mean it in any kind of horrible way. And like I'll I'll meet them at a show and I'll have a discussion with them. Um, but it was nice. It was a nice wake up call to kind of go, oh, oh crap! Like more people see my stuff than I think. But also, like maybe yeah, maybe I shouldn't be. Maybe maybe wrestling doesn't need me to be so angry and grumpy all the time. Like maybe they need to see like. The happy side of Roy. So that's why when when we had the North show that couldn't run, Isaac, you know what? I got up that morning, Isaac. Today would have been North. Isaac, I'm going to do a promo for everyone that would have been on the show. And it was nice because it was like it felt good to, to not be angry and grumpy and not hate the thing that I actually love and that we all love. Um, so it was a nice like it was a nice like oh cool. But then obviously a couple of weeks later something happened <laughs> that made me hate it again. So it's like, but I think that's just fandom. Like it's just. Like we love it, but we love to hate it sometimes. And I think, for me, I just need to think. You know what? You could close that Twitter account, and you could live the rest of your life quite happily, and you wouldn't see it because it's only there if you look at it. Like, 
Schrodinger's tweet. As well as taking three uh, wrestling matches onto the island, you're also allowed to take a movie, an album, and a luxury item. Oh, what? I don't mm. know. Oh. I like to spring it on people that have definitely not heard these conversations before. See, I prepared the luxury item. I knew the luxury item. I forgot about the movie. Um, oh, now I thought, because as, as, a, as a horror movie fan, I thought this would be the one you were prepared for. I mean, I would probably take... Um, the original Halloween. The original, so the the yeah. first the first run Halloween. Yeah, the first Halloween, the John Carpenter one. Um, I would probably take that because it's. Oh, now I'm thinking. Oh crap! Should I take like an Arnie movie? Oh no, no. <laughs> what makes a good horror movie? Um, like for. For me, like it's. It's don't show, like don't show, like this. You know, um, so like I'd like I'll say like Halloween was the first time I watched a movie and I like a horror movie. And I thought horrors can be movies as well, like suspense, the way it's directed, like the camera shots. I stole loads of them for like some of the early uh, Rory Coyle promos. I was like, I'm just going to take that shot. I'm just going to I'm going to stick Bass Ban in there instead of Michael Myers. Um, so, yeah, for me, I think it's suspense. But I think it's like wrestling. You have to suspend your disbelief when you sit down to watch a horror movie. You have to. Um and I think when people don't, that's when you get people. And like that was the worst experience when I went to see it, Chapter Two was, it was obviously trying to be quite a funny movie, but then people were, were laughing at the movie. They were laughing at the horror and not the jokes. Um, so I think you need to have something where you're able to suspend disbelief. And I think that's why Halloween scared me so much. Was it's like, well, this could happen. Like this is a suburban neighborhood, and. Like when you read into like when it got written, it was when the term serial killer was first penned and this stuff was really happening. So it's like, all right, this isn't that far away from reality. Um, and I think to me, that's like something I've always loved in horror is like that kind of suspension of disbelief. But also it kind of makes you think twice about walking home alone. Um, and hopefully that's what Roy Coyle does. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, I think. The first Halloween, definitely. I was going to go with Predator, but I think Rampage Browns took Predator. So you can watch it with him. And in theory, we could build a raft and go from one island to the other, and then we'd watch Predator together. Because <laughs> um, I am like a massive Arnie fan. Um, but yeah, I think maybe Halloween. I think Halloween. And it was also the first time I saw Jamie Lee Curtis, and I fell in love with her. So. Which I've received a lot of a lot of stick in long on long car journeys from a lot of people. Why? Because they were like, oh, Jamie Lee Curtis, I don't know what the problem is, Irish. I'm like, she's gorgeous. Like, that's my, I don't have a problem. She's beautiful. <laughs> and she's, and, and also, she still looks fantastic. And she seems like she's great crack. She goes to Comic Con in full cosplay and nobody knows it's Jamie Lee Curtis. She sounds whole, like great fun. Her whole family. Um, so, yeah, I'd go with that. I'd go with Halloween, definitely. What about an album? Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Um, so maybe something that something that you listen to on car journeys, something maybe that you listen to whilst out walking the dog, something like that. Mind you, you're, quite a, you're more of a podcast guy, aren't you? Yeah, I do. I do listen. You know what? I've had this conversation with the good lady yesterday. I'm a massive Gaga fan, Tom. I love, I love me some Gaga. You know what I would take though? I would take. Um, a compilation of um, Clint Mansell, the who does the movie scores, 
I would take Clint Mansell's soundtracks with me. So what sort of movie scores has Clint Mansell done? Uh, so he did The Fountain, uh, which is like a proper chalk and cheese. It's a chalk and cheese movie. Like It's a Marmite movie, really, because like some people love it, some people hate it. It's a Darren Aronofsky film with uh, Hugh Jackman. Um, so he's done that. He did The Moon score. Um, I don't know if you've seen that. It was Sam Rockwell. Uh, it was made by, directed by Bowie's son, I believe. And then he did, there's a black mirror. I'm going to try and say that as British as I can, because when I say it, it's just mirror. Um, a black mirror episode um, called San Junpero. And he did the score for that. But he also did stuff like Love and Vincent. And he's done some sound, He's done some songs for like uh, the Mass Effect soundtracks and stuff as well. But his score for The Fountain is amazing. It is just absolutely brilliant. He did Pie and stuff as well, but like his score for The Fountain. So there you go. I would take The Fountain soundtrack. I would just go with that. And how about a luxury item? My dog. Ah, we've got to take <laughs> I, Newt on the island. Can I, can I take Newt on the island? Because I think he would function well on the island. <laughs> he's, he's jacked. Like, Newt has more muscle mass than me. Like, he's... <laughs> He's an incredibly jacked little dog. How did you um, how I, did you come to meet Newt? Um, is a friend of mine um actually owns Newt's grandmother. Um, so he shares um he shares dogs with um a really good friend of his. So he has them on the weekends, and uh he I I've like I've always grown up with dogs. Like back in Ireland, we always had like like a family dog. My sister at the minute has like two dogs. Um. But like I've never had a dog that's like my like that's my dog. Um, so it's like the first dog that is solely mine. So I remember they I found out that um they were having pups, and I was like, you know what I really want a dog. And then I was kind of like, can I like my main concern was always like with my schedule, like would it be okay with a dog? Like you know if I have to go to a wrestling show. Um, so I kind of worked it out that like through a use of like a doggy daycare. And now a very understanding um, uh, other half who loves Newt. She'll, oh, she'll tell me off for calling her the other half. Ah, crap. A very understanding girlfriend who uh, loves Newt the bits. Um, I was like, yeah, I can kind of make I can kind of make this work. So it was weird. I've got photos of uh, me going to see him the last day before I picked him up. And it was the day after uh, me and Rampage had wrestled in Leeds for the Defiant Championship. And I am so beat up. <laughs> I've got like I've got like chunks missing out of my forearm and stuff from like the video players hitting them and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that's when I I got him. So he's just over a year. He would have been a year in April, and he is actually just like my best mate. He's he's the best. He's the best thing. Um, so yeah, it, 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 I used to be I used to be very against people taking dogs to shows because I was worried about like the noise and stuff like that. There's certain places that I'll take him because I know he's quite far away from the ring and I know there's always someone there to look after him. So he'll come to BWR with me um, because uh, Matt Myers, um, a.k.a. Chuck Wood, will always look after him there. Um, so, yeah, there's a couple of places where I don't mind taking him. And there's been some awesome photos. Like I finished a, a death match at BWR um, and it was Shreddy. Shreddy, break a, Shreddy was looking after him. And I just was quite happy to walk past the paramedics and go over to make sure Newt was okay. Um, that's my main concern in life now: is is Newt okay? <laughs> is he happy? I talk to him all the time. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, do you like living here? And he's a dog; like he's never going to respond. 
Um, but I'm like, are you happy with your life here? Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I love the bits. He's awesome. I'm actually um, very grateful to Newt and yourself. And this is a fun, <laughs> this is a fun little story that, that will, will, will cause a rift in the timeline that I don't think anybody from Coltaholic truly knows about. Um, it's because... <clears throat> It's because Newt is so inquisitive and so lovely and wants to make friends with everybody. Uh, <laughs> you ended up in the care of a cat. <laughs> yeah. That, that Newt wanted to play with and the cat wanted nothing to do with. Yeah. So you were like, we need to find a home for this cat. Yeah. And my good lady saw the picture of said cat. We came to your house to come and meet said cat. And that is how Pablo came into our lives. Yeah. So it is because of Rory Coyle and Newt that Pablo is part of the timeline. Yeah. So it, there's a the, fun story for Cultaholic fans. But the best part of that is <laughs> that I thought Pablo was a lady. <laughs> yes, you did. Um, so because Pablo was, he was, he, uh, yeah, it feels weird me saying he because I thought Pablo was she. <laughs> um, like, uh, Pablo was in Middlesbrough and you obviously wanted to say hello to Pablo and it was really weird because I was like why is this like cat just here so we checked back later on that day um, and Pablo was still there so then um, Pablo came to stay at my house uh, Pablo went to the vet the vet was like I think it's I think it's a female cat so I was like oh cool so at the time uh, the lady I was seeing at the time we named Pablo Elvira after the Mistress of Darkness um, so and then he's yeah, had big issues since this. Just it so was you know. weird. It was weird because like, yeah, Newt just really, really wanted to be friends with Pablo. Like, just really, and I was, I was quite open to the idea. That, like, you know what? If this cat gets on okay with Newt, then I'll just have a little black dog and a little black cat, and life will be great. And Pablo, no, Pablo was having none of it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I remember I tried to introduce them like. With the I kind of the baby gate and I was trying to like feed them little bits of chicken and stuff and like just when I thought I was making a breakthrough, Pablo would just like right hook him every time and I was like, yeah. Um, so yeah, then I had that interesting journey where I had Pablo in the back seat in like a little kind of um, like little cat carrier thing. I don't know what they're called, a transporter, cat just transporter. Just a cat carrier, I think. Yeah, and then I had Newt in the front seat, but I had to build like a wall of cardboard so Newt couldn't see Pablo. Oh. <laughs> and then I had to drive from Middlesbrough to Gateshead. Um, but it was nice then when I came around to do one of the North podcasts and Pablo was there. And I was like, oh, he, look, he looks so happy. He's so much happier than he would have been. Because <laughs> like, Kiri was very much like, confined to one room and then when when me and newt went out i would let pablo have like free reign of the house um and I, yeah he, he seems over the moon now so yeah it's a weird crossing of paths but yeah pablo formerly elvira formerly known as elvira and then and then we figured out he was a boy i said well we can't really call him elvira anymore but... <laughs> i was heartbroken and also forest i was like i can't believe he seems so happy now though i love seeing him uh, pop up in the videos and stuff he's, he's doing he's doing great he was uh, a time recording he was in a video this morning and uh, i think it's taken it out of him because he's been asleep on the bed ever since it's, it's a tough life being a cat got one more wrestling match to get to because this is a wrestling podcast sometimes yes um so we've had and this has been one of the more eclectic mixes of matches so far doink the clown marty genetic two out of three falls uh we've had jay the state roberts rick martel blindfold match what is your third match 
So my third one is a proper wrestling match. Um, it's uh, Rampage Brown against uh, Ishikawa from... It was from a Wrestlegate show. Um, I think it was the Emerald Grand Prix, Grand Prix was the name of the show. Um, but it was like this... It was probably around this time last year. Um, and it is... It's just... Like, it was... Poss- it's probably one of the best live matches I've seen. Especially like, as a wrestler, it's one of the best live matches that I've gotten in indie. Uh, I remember sitting watching it with um I was sitting beside Gabriel Kidd and the two of us like from the get go were just engrossed. We were losing our minds because like they started with this like this crazy, like vicious like trade off and I was just like I don't know where we go from here. Like it's unbelievable. Um it is absolutely and it's I think if there's ever evidence like so obviously Rampage trained me and I now consider him like a really good friend of mine. Um and it was awesome to see like a guy who I know how good he is go toe to toe with like like a Japanese star and be like, yeah, you know what, mate, this is like this is where I belong, like an all Japan star. And it was just, and it's very rare as well that you see Rampage look like a small guy. Ishikawa is huge, like he's just he's just like one of the biggest men I've ever stood beside. I was like, wait, wait, everything about him is big. <laughs> like he's just huge, like he's mass. He's just a massive dude, and they just put on this match that was just like, just this all Japan, old school, like ninety style bout, and it, it was unbelievable. I think I'd gone to the. It's a weird, stupid story about how I ended up going to the show. I was at home, and I just, I think I just got new, and uh, James Dixon from Defiant was there booking the show as well. Martin Kirby was on the show and I think there was this running thing of like they were having an awesome day out at the show and they're like are you coming out she's like I can't make because I've got nobody to watch the dog so yeah I can't really make it I'm sorry uh, and then obviously lads being lads and my mates being a bunch of assholes they're like oh you loser blah 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 um, so then I was like look I'll turn up before Prince of Meme turns up like I can guarantee that and Prince of Meme was like oh I don't know about that bro and I was like I don't know. So then James Dixon said, I bet you a pound you won't attend the show. So I was like, screw it. I'll take, I'll take that bet. Uh, so I found someone to look after Newt. Um, I jumped in my car. I drove from Middlesbrough to Nottingham on my own for a one pound bet. Um <laughs> I got to the venue. The show was nearly done. I got to the venue. Like, I think Martin Kirby had just finished a match against uh, Sean Custom and somebody else. Might have been like someone like Scotty Davis. Um, and I just missed that match. And I only wanted to see like Kirby and Rampage. Um, and I, I got down there like just in time to watch this match. And I swear, I, I turned to the lads and I was like, that was worth the drive. Like, that was... 100% worth the drive like it was just and I was like give me my pound um, <laughs> and I still have the pound sitting on uh, sitting in my kitchen on my dresser I'm like that's the pound and Prince of Meme typical Prince of Meme didn't turn up never turned what up yeah, what a, of course he didn't turn up didn't want that pound did he <laughs> um, but yeah it was brilliant like it was absolutely brilliant um, and it was it was very much done as well under like the, the old Japan style rules. So like the longer count outs and stuff as well. Um, and I remember one stage where I think 
I think Rampage just gets in the ring for like just to break the count out and he got like a stand ovation. I was like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> oh, man. like this is off like a count out and they had everyone. They had everyone in that building. Like I remember like it was one of those ones where like it's an absolute locker room sellout. Like everyone was there. Um, and like me and <laughs> I just remember me and Gabriel Kidd just being like two kids watching the match. We were just like, ah, oh, ah, oh, like proper reacting to everything. And uh, typical Rampage, he gets in the back and he's like, was all right? I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> are you serious? You just see that. Um, I think you can actually watch it for free online. On uh, If you just look for it on YouTube, I think it's up online. Um, what, what is amazing, though, is to because Rampage was on this show a few weeks back. And if you would have heard it, you would know how much rampage loves that sort of mid-90s all japan style yeah. like dr death steve williams type wrestling so to to know that to have that knowledge and know this rest and how this wrestlegate match plays out you have to believe that as cool as he was this was a guy living a dream yeah i think like it was just it was so good to see him do because like quite often we see him like when he worked at, when i wrestled him at defiant like He's very much having to do like a Rory Coyle style match, you know? And it was like, he was still doing a Rory Coyle style match, but like doing it as Rampage Brown. And it was amazing to see him do basically what that guy's put on this planet to do, which is like that style of wrestling. Like, and I can't think of anyone else in Europe that can do that like him. And it was just like, we were just, we were all losing our minds. We were like, this is amazing. But it's just typical of him. He's like, was that all right? I was like, why are you asking me? I was like, you've done more moves in that match than I've done in my entire career. Like, <laughs> but it's it's there's some amazing stuff. I think they do this absolutely like they're two huge lads, like two massive lads, and they do this like superplex off the top, but Rampage like rolls through his feet and just does this like ridiculous like scream. He swings a clothesline and Ishikawa just hits him with like a Saito suplex and he's straight back up on his feet and he takes his head off with Lariat and you're just like, what am I watching? This is like, this is actually like, like a Godzilla fight. Like that's what I'm watching. I'm just watching two huge dudes to beat the pissing each other. And I've, like, I think he, I think he might have pile drove Rampage on the apron and I've never seen him lifted so easily. Like he looked, he looked like a child. I was like, why is he doing this? I was like, why is this guy so big and strong? And why is he making Rampage look like he's not a monster as well? And he is a monster. I was like, it's so good. Like, it's just, and I think like, I got it. Um, I think WrestleCrate did it on DVD. They did like a run of the DVDs and I stole it on DVD as well. Because I was like, I want this. I want this match. But I think part of it is probably for me is the whole experience of taking a one pound bet driving to Nottingham for, <laughs> just to watch this match and then seeing like someone who I consider like a really good mate of mine and like a mentor like just go out there and show everyone why he's why he's regarded the way he is tell everybody where they can find you so they can find me on Twitter it's like Rory Rassler on Twitter um, I've got a Patreon where I do like I do these weird like horror movie reviews and they're exclusive on Patreon for like a month and I do like me and you do like these weird unboxing videos. Um so it's patreon.com slash Rory Coyle and and then Rory Rassler.com is where I do all my merch and stuff. I think I'm not finished yet. So yeah, I want, I'm looking forward to kinda everything starting up again and trying some even weirder things 
if we can imagine. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Cultaholic Wrestling News. 